Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks with Leif Hetland. We invite you into the conversation and celebration of what God is doing around the world through his sons and daughters. Leif shares insight into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Jesus did a good hand. I wanted to show a couple of more pictures, but before I do, I was thinking what Bill Johnson was talking about, just his presence and his glory. There's just something in me that it just took me back uh, uh, to one of the places that I had a lot of prejudice against this place and had actually wrong worldview because people was always saying that you cannot going into this region and area. And for quite a few years we tried and, and there was nothing that we was able to do. There was always cancel or there was a threats or there was suicide bombers. And so I've, I've wrestled a lot with it, but I knew that we don't have a darkness problem in the world, but lack of light. So I, I, I went through this restaurant, but make the story short, we had a team, actually a friend I bought, Randy and Tom was with me, six people was on our team. And we finally what we have done, we're going to do a healing meeting. But it was also one of those moments, there was so many different harassment, we had to stay about two hours away, even just because of, uh, there was no places that they wouldn't bomb if you stayed in any of the small hotels. And, and there was not much of hotels because you are in an unreached area, so there is no tourism or there's not much going on. But to make the story short, by the time we came there, I, I will never forget it. It's the greatest miracles that I've ever seen in a meeting. And it start, and it's often sovereign speaking, meaning it is not because I'm great or the team or we're praying. But, but I still remember people that literally you could see the limbs being straightened up. And I bought videos and pictures. One man for 15 years bent it over. And you could see from the video when he's just been straightened up in an atmosphere. So there's never been Jesus, never been light in over 2,000 years. So they've lived their entire life and they never once known how good he is and they don't know how loved they are. So in this environment, I, as I say, I don't forget when this one time, this wave, it was this wave of his presence that came. And I thought there was going to be turmoil because they were storming the stage. One took actually a dead baby and threw it at the stage, hoping. And so it was so aggressive, that's how we actually ended up leaving that meeting. But somebody just interviewed me and said, what is the greatest miracle you've seen? I said, I was not part of the miracle. But we just got to, to uh, afterwards hear about it. But it's the greatest miracle because we had that one boy was a quadriplegic. And there was three quadriplegic in that meeting that eventually started to walk for the first time in their life. There was, oh, yeah, let's give Jesus a good hand. And the rumors had spread from the first day to the second. We were able to do three days before they stopped us and guards came in and actually pulled us out. So it's just, how long do you stretch this? And in the end, was when, the last days when they were crushing the stage, we were, they, were so, they were so hungry for Jesus. So it went from totally hostility with a few people the first day and this miracle happened and rumors started to spread all over and people came. And eventually, I still remember, I stood up on the stage and I actually have a video of it, but what Bill was sharing, I just was thinking about it. There was one father, he was just holding up the wheelchair, and miracles was happening. They can't, you cannot touch them because we have guards all over, but there's all these miracles and healing, and you're so grateful. So many people surrender. Over 20,000 people in three days in an area where there's never been one convert gave their life to Jesus in three days. 
But as this was taking place, we were just there so overwhelmed and your emotional tank is also very low. So I remember when the guards took us and again, I wish you could have touched one more, one more. And I took as long as we could until they actually pretty much pulled us out, put us in a vehicle, they stormed the vehicle and we have a a vehicle in the front of us, behind us with guns as protection, tried to take us out. But that night when eventually I was able to get to safety and then we eventually the next day left, I, I was sitting about 24 hours later in this secure place in a hotel in Islamabad, the capital city. And then I was just sitting and weeping. You get just so overwhelmed. You, you start to feel it. In, in a sense, there's a level of darkness I can't describe, but at the same time, I had a joy. The darkness you feel is just all the ones that have never once heard the name of Jesus. And then the, the, the joy is all the ones that when you saw how they responded. But then I could not get rid of the picture of this father that was holding up. I didn't know the age or anything else, but I, I mean, you have thousands of people, but so far back there is holding up this wheelchair and holding up this boy, take him, laying him down on the ground. It's like, can you see me? Can you notice me? And they don't know that they think they need to come to you. So you don't have a chance to teach about five-step healing model or anything else. It's just hoping and believing that God is going to do something. And as I was sitting there, and then eventually, as I said, as I was sitting there, just so sad and broken over that condition, and it was painful. And at that moment, we got actually a call from the coordinator in that area. He says, you do not believe. After you guys left and everything, it's been over 24 hours, but people are coming into the mosque or coming into the home, and the presence of Jesus is still there. And then he said, let, let me tell you a story, he said. He, he, there was this father, he came to the meeting the third night, and he was holding up the wheelchair with his son, and then afterwards he was holding up the son, and he tried this over and over again, hoping that, because nobody could come up close. I mean, there was literally thousands of people storming up just like a crowd, so you couldn't get up to the front. And he's so disappointed because he had heard the stories of some other quadriplegic that had been healed. And anyway, so he went home, and when he put the boy down on his mat, and that he has done all of his life, this, this father just walked away. But during that night time, the presence of Jesus had just been lingering, lingering. This boy had felt tingling or whatever he felt. They never got to interview the boy. All I can imagine that this boy actually by the morning stood up and had walked into his father and embraced his father. So go God. Some are saying that, that I, I'm hungry for something more. I, is there anyone else in this room that is hungry for something more? Uh, when I'm seeing what is taking place in the world today, and part of my assignment, I feel like, in this place is just, it, it, I, I know I have these three chairs. Let me ask, how many of you have seen the message of the three chair? I think, there's probably, wow, there's maybe only one-fourth of you. So, But I'm using that just as a framework today. Uh, but I do want to share a little bit. If I want to take everyone here, and what I'm going to try to, to do is to take us on a little quick journey from eternity past to eternity future. Didn't that sound fun? So if we went all the way back, if we took everybody here on a little time machine back to the beginning, say beginning. In, in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning God, say, begin with God. 
In the beginning, God. So we begin with God. Everything begins with God and it ends with God. I mean, he is both the Alpha and he is the Omega. And if we are using the word Genesis 1-1, it is the word Elohim. In the beginning, there is actually a Father, there is a Son, and there is a Holy Spirit. And I want you just to use your imagination for a few moments because later on it says, let us Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us make man in our image. It isn't there where God says, let me make man in my image, but in our image. And I was thinking about it when I saw the three generation of Clark coming up here. And I was just thinking about, because I am convinced with all of my heart that the next revival that is taking place in America is a family revival. I'm convinced about it. I do know that the enemy is trying to steal identity. And why? Because God is restoring the identity of the sons and daughters of glory. Why is the enemy trying to kill the baby boys? Because Moses the deliverer is coming. Why is the enemy trying to kill the baby boys? Because Jesus the Savior is coming. Why is the enemy trying to go after family and identity and trying to destroy? Because of what God is up to. So it's very, very... For me, it is very, very important to not be distracted by what a devil is doing because we don't see what God is doing. So I do believe that with all of my heart that when we talk about the one billion soul harvest, it is actually a billion sons and daughter harvest. And God doesn't want a billion orphans. He wants a billion sons and daughters. And for that to take place, he's restoring family on earth that look like the family of heaven. And this is part of what the enemy is nervous about is for the family. And I believe also that the next move of God's spirit is a generational move. And I, I believe with all of my heart, we're going to need grandmas and grandpas, and we're going to need fathers and mothers, and we're going to need sons and daughters. And even at this beautiful family gathering, there's three generations that are gathering together here. So you have grandmas and grandpas, you have fathers and mothers, and you have sons and daughters. And I know... We've heard a language that what is the ceiling of one generation becomes the floor of the next generation. And when you have three generations, you will change cities and nations. So you have Father, Son, and Spirit, you have nations. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in Jacob, there's an Israel and there's nations. And the enemy is so nervous that when we start to build in generations. So I'm putting this into perspective, but if I were to take everybody back to the beginning, and I'm just trying to get the blueprint of two key words. When I'm reading my Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there's two key words that is kind of at a railway track. One is the word covenant, say covenant. And the other one is the kingdom, say kingdom. The lenses I try to see everything that's going on from scriptures to how I see God, how I see myself, how I see the world, and how I see the future. My eschatalia is color. So I do not see the world the way it is. I see the world the way I am. But until I see me the way that God sees me, I will not get proper perspective. So until that, I will have either color blindness, I will have tunnel vision, I will have certain eye problems with me. And as a result of that, I don't have a proper perspective to see the world the way that God sees the world or the circumstances. And that's why I feel it is the most important thing we can do is to look up. Say, look up. Then I can look in. Say, look in. Then I can look out. Say, look out. And then I can look forward. But if I took everybody back into the beginning and you met the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help me for a few moments. I'm going to use my imagination. If you ask me, who do you think is the most important, the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. 
If you ask the Father, he points to the Son. If you ask the Son, he points to the Spirit. If you ask the Spirit, he points to the Son. If you ask the Son, he points to the Father. They are one. Somebody was telling me today, do you know what has meant the most to me coming here and watching? He said, I've been part of the global awakening family for many years, he said. But what I've noticed, because actually he's helping to take care of me during these days, and he's part of the school of ministry, Doug has done a very, very good job. But he said, what I've noticed, I've been around the speakers, and I've been around everyone, and it seems like everybody's just pointing to one, one another. Nobody's competing. Everybody's completing one another. When one stock goes up, every stock goes up because this is a family business. When one person is getting healed, everybody is celebrating. It is a culture of celebration. Well, we don't tolerate one another, but we celebrate one another. And when he started to describe that, I knew it was giving some life about that. This is a family of family. This is a family reunion. Where we're coming together, family or families, and it is a beautiful thing. So here's where I'm going to use a little bit of my imagination. The Father loves the Son. Say that with me. And we can put John 17, especially verse, if you wanted to take the verse. I've been meditating on verse 17 to 20, especially, excuse me, from verse 20 to 26, especially. But the Father loved the Son. Say, Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Spirit. The Spirit loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. And they are one. But here's one of the keys that I have been seeing as I'm looking through this incredible eternal perspective. The Son, say the Son. Loved the Son the way the Father loved the Son. Jesus loved Jesus the way the Father loved Jesus. And that's what he is praying, that that love that he experienced with the Father, that love is going to be in us and him in us. Christ in us, that is the hope of glory. That's John 70, 26. Or he says in verse 23, so that the world may believe that the very love that he experienced with the Father when he sees that love in us. And I feel like there is something here about this, that there was one person that was part of that. So the family there in heaven, it's called the culture of honor, where everybody honor one another. And honor is what love looks like. And this is important because we're going to just look, I'm going to use the chairs, but everything you saw up there or what you're seeing that's going on in the Middle East. If you're looking at the world today, there's three roots area that nations after the fall that we're going to look at for a few moments. But after the fall, that is that all nations have three primary things that is roots that came and it came as a result of the fall. One is fear, say fear. And the other one is shame, say shame. Or guilt, say guilt. There's some of these rude issues going on in the nation, including in Islam. Islam is an honor or shame culture. And it's operating, but in the Jewish culture, as you did is wrong, so we need to punish your guilt. So you were wondering, why do some of these people not condemn or see the value? Well, because you dishonored us. They have a whole different value system. So I'm going to put some of that perspective because all of that started in the beginning. So in the beginning, you have this incredible family of God. So you have family, and I believe covenant is connected to family. Say family. And the kingdom is the mission of this family. Say mission. I know there's an oversimplification because the kingdom is so much more, and I'm going to go into that. But this is about a family on mission. 
Let us, Father, Son, Spirit, make man in our image. Let's create a family on earth that looks like the family in heaven. And after six and a half days of creation, God goes down into the dust and he does something. He makes this picture and I do not know exactly what a picture is out of the dust, but he, he breathes into it, ruach. When he breathes into it, just use your imagination. Who do you think is the first face that Adam ever sees? Papa. I believe the first thing Adam says, Papa, he sees the face of a loving father. According to the Luke genealogy, he's made in the image of his father. So when he suddenly looks there, Papa, what is the first voice Adam ever hear? It is the voice of his heavenly father. What is the first feeling he has? It is the perfect love of his father. What is the first experience? It is the presence of his father. And he is placed in Eden in the pleasure or the delight of his father. Why is this important? Because it is normal Christian life. Seeing his face. Jesus says, I do what I see my father do. I say what I hear my father say. Seeing his face. Say that with me. Say hearing his voice. Feeling his love. Experiencing his presence. And abiding or resting in the father's pleasure. Say pleasure. So I'm just putting this as a framework, but there was one person in the heavenly. Some people, Isaiah 14, we heard William say it, or Ezekiel 37, but at least you can see Revelation 12 when this dragon. But the first orphan that you will find was Lucifer. Lucifer was the first orphan with an orphan heart and an orphan spirit that is rooted, is God really good and am I really loved? If I become like you, I'm going to feel better about myself. That orphan heart and the orphan spirit of Lucifer, why is that important? Because Ishmael, the cry of Ishmael in the wilderness, God cannot be a father and he cannot have a son. That's the whole root of all Islam. And sometimes we are coming, and I'm not going to talk about Muslims so much today, but I want us to get into dealing with our responsibility to maybe make sure to put the simplicity of my message today is I want everyone in the world to know how good Papa God is and how loved they are. And I want every single person, 8 billion people in this world, to have an experience with a God that looks just like Jesus. It is like what Bill Johnson says, that Jesus is perfect theology. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want every Muslim, I want every Hindu, every Buddhist, every Democrat, every Republican. It doesn't matter where you are, I'm a Norwegian. Did that offend anybody? I'm Norwegian. I'm learning how to speak English. I can come up with some good excuses sometimes. Is that wrong? But in the middle of it, I believe with all of my heart that, that this is my assignment, is for everyone in the world to have an encounter with a God who looks just like Jesus. So this has been my assignment, a part of my assignment today. So when we see Lucifer, when he left with one-third of the fallen angels that we call demons today, and I do not have a chance to go through so much of the details of that, I believe so much of the strategic assignment, including when they came into the garden and the first liberal theologian show up, did God really say? I started to question the word of God because it's saying that, hey, if you eat from this, you're going to be like Papa. Don't you want to be like Jesus? Yeah. Well, if you do something, you will have something. You will become something. Welcome to the orphan world where the orphan spirit is in control. And this was the root. If you eat from this tree, you're going to be like him. 
And then eventually we know the story that eventually the eight sin came in, separated from him. And often we say, and we feel the pain of them, what happens to them? But I'm often said as also what happens to the father and the heart of the father when his sons and daughters no longer can see his face and hear his voice. And the father starts his first mission plan. That's when missions start. Adam, Adam, where are you? And the question is not about location, it is about intimacy. Where is this? I miss this. I was a prodigal son when I was young, and some of you heard my story that five years of addiction because of a lot of pain, and when I was 18 years old in the park in Norway, I had shamed my family. And it's a very similar to a Williams story that when I was uh, leaving this park in Oslo, taking a train ride to Stavanger from Oslo, and I was heading home, my dad, who was born during the World War in Norway, World War II, don't show much of emotion, but that day something different was with my dad. My dad was there, and he was not looking away from me. He was looking towards me. And when I came out of that train, my dad ran towards me, and he hugged me, and he embraced me, and he kissed me. And it changed something in me because it is the goodness and the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. And that was the starting point in my life on my journey, even before my salvation and my transformation. It was this goodness and the kindness that took place in my life. So in this journey, then when Lucifer came in and sin came in, there was three primary things, and that was, say, fear, shame, guilt. They put fig leaves on, fear, insecurity, guilt, loneliness, escapism, anxiety. There certainly now starts to covering up, and then we can, if we had the time, we'd take a little journey through the whole Old Testament, but I'm about to lead us to Jesus. I want us to look at the answer for this. Because when Jesus says in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. I think it's one of the most powerful scripture verses in the whole Bible. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. Let me make it in a simple term. Jesus took my sin. Say that with me. With his sinfulness. Not with my sinfulness. So I can become righteous with his righteousness. Jesus took my shame. So now I'm glorified. Jesus took my sickness and disease. So by his stripes, I am healed. Jesus took my poverty so I could share in his abundance. But I believe there's a key element here. Jesus took my bondage so I could experience his freedom. Jesus always called him Father, 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 until this moment he said, Eli, 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 lama sabatani. He said, my God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could it be for a moment that Jesus was separate from the Father's love so we could be restored back again to the Father's love? Could it be for a moment that Jesus became an orphan so that you and I can be sons and daughters of glory? Just could it be? Why did he not call him Father, Father, why have you? Why did he say God, God, God at that moment? And then connected to John 14, 18. And for so much, and this is why I wanted to use the framework of the three chairs. Are you guys okay? So I'm going to need your help. This is chair number one. Which chair is this? I'm going to put this together. This is chair number two. Which chair is this? And this is chair number three. Which chair is this? Chair number one, and by the way, everyone in this room, you're either chair number one or chair number two. I don't think we have many chair number three in here. Chair number one is all about the kingdom of God. Say kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. Chair number two is about the kingdom of self. Say kingdom of self. Kingdom of self. 
And chair number three is the kingdom of the world. Say kingdom of the world. The people that are living in chair number one, they are saved. Say the word saved. If you live your life in chair number two, you are saved. Say the word saved. I was doing this message at an assembly pastors conference in Iowa, and one of the pastors came up to me and says, I don't believe the person in chair number two can be saved. And I said, that's okay. In your sermon, they can be lost. In my sermon, they are saved. He said, are you telling me I cannot lose my salvation? I said, no, you can lose whatever you want to. <laughs> but why would you want to lose it? <laughs> we had a very good conversation. But all I am trying to explain here that the people, what Paul called in Chernobyl 2 is what we call, you can call them carnal Christian or people that are upright more in the flesh, but they are still born again. And then you have the kingdom of the world. Say kingdom of the world. And these people are lost. Say lost. And the majority of the world's population are living in Chernobyl 3. They are lost. About 1.8 billion Muslim. 88 to 90% will be Sunni Muslim. And then you have the Shia Muslim. You will have about over 1 billion Hindus. And 900 million other people that don't believe in God at all. And then you have about 600 million Buddhists. And if I put it together, the majority of the world's population, they are in Chernobyl 3. Say Chernobyl 3. The reason I want to put that, because of 8 billion people in this world, I'm interested in because I know with all of my heart, and I know you and I know, we've read the book of ending. It ends well. How do I do? Because I just read it a little earlier. They are going to be represented from every nation, tongue, tribe, and language in heaven. And how many of you believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life? Nobody comes to the Father but by him. So if they're going to be in heaven, it's because they're experiencing Jesus here on earth. And somebody is going to take Jesus to them. And that's where we are coming into the picture. Are you guys okay? It's just I'm trying to be very simple with it. So right now my heart, of what, what I believe with all of my heart is what God is doing with us. There's a shaking going on in this system. And both of these systems is being shook. So we can find this place in our life that is called the unshakable. And when you're living your life in Chernobyl 1, it is the unshakable place because there's an unshakable kingdom and there's an unshakable person. His name is Jesus. He rules and he reigns in every area of life. And I would put this because in Chernobyl 1, this is the spirit-filled life. Say that with me. Say spirit-filled life. The Bible says walk in the spirit and when you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. The Bible says those who are led by the Spirit, they are the sons and daughters of God. So this is the kingdom of God. Say kingdom of God. It says seek first his kingdom, not my kingdom, and his righteousness. Say that with me. Say his kingdom. His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. The problem in Chernobyl 2, they are seeking first something else. They maybe were like a little kingdom. And then all these things is being subtracted. If things are being added in the kingdom, the Bible says repent because the kingdom is at hand. It is near enough that you can touch it. The Bible says unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. And this is so much of the messages here for us to get back home where we belong. But chair number two is a little bit different. I love when I'm in chair number one. Even my wife likes me in chair number one. Even my dog Suki is more happy when I'm in chair number one. When I'm coming home, Suki can kind of coming in and she can pick up if I'm in chair number one. Because when I'm in chair number one, I'm anointed, say anointed. But the problem when I'm in chair number two, I'm annoying. 
When I'm in chair number one, I'm pretty prophetic. Say prophetic. But the problem is when I'm in chair number two, I'm pathetic. When I'm in chair number one, I have this beautiful dove that is resting upon me because I'm resting in him. And when you are at rest, the dove finds a resting place. And we hear Bill describing the beautiful picture of the dove. And so the super glue for the dove to find a resting place is that you are at rest. But the problem is that my two root areas, I know I'm in chair two when I'm restless and lack of peace. And then I feel I need to do something to have something, to become something. And then there is pain in your life and that seeks pleasure. And I'm either looking at religion by doing more or rebellion, sin issue. And the three roots that we're going to go up. First, we're going to deal with the root in chair number one. How many here would like a super glue to chair number one? Let me see. Just wave to me up there. Super glue to chair number one. Where the dove is remaining on you. How many here would like to not have visitation of the dove, but habitation? What is supernatural is what's natural. Oh, we got some excited people. Papa, let's start. Because when you're in chair number one, you're seeing his face. You're hearing his voice. You're feeling his love. I'm not looking for love in the wrong places. If you had an A plus before you preached, you can coming up here and you can focusing on him and what he wants to say. But why would you want to live from measure in chair number two when you can live from, from fullness in chair number one? And the reason I'm doing this, and I will do this a few more times back and forth and then telling a couple of stories, is because this world, primary 87% of Muslims have never met a Christian. So it's not that they have denied. When I'm meeting these people, they had a view of me. I was thinking about one of the guys on the picture. For five years, he tried to kill me. And I struggled because I, this guy was the very one that got me into chair number two over and over again. So I blamed this guy for God. He's trying to kill me. I mean, we paid $100,000 together to do this an event. And this guy said, I blaspheme Muhammad. And now all these guys are coming with guns and machine guns and we had to cancel it. And here you're whining and here you're shining. So this whole thing here, so my life, this is the honest truth, and I'm going to be honest with you about some of those. I mean, I'm often in chair number two. You can talk to my wife about it. And she even says, if you talk about the chairs, I'm going to take chair number three and hit you in the head with it. If you know my wife, you know she means it. Because sometimes I say, honey, which chair are you in right now? And she scares away my dove very quickly then. But the nice thing with chair number one, and if we're putting together Ephesians 3, verse 17 to 20, chair number one, the root system and the foundation is love. Ephesians 3, 17. You are rooted and grounded in love. You are rooted and grounded in love. 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 How high and deep and wide and long is Papa God love for you? So you're experiencing the depth of that love, the width and the length of that love so that the fullness dwells in there, Ephesians 3, 19. And when you're stepping into fullness, then you can go into now. Say now. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but say now. To him. 
Say to him who is, who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than I can think and ask. All of that is connected to how comfortable you are with love because that's how comfortable you are with God. Because God is love, 1 John 4, 16. And when you have love deficiency in your life, you have God deficiency. And you're looking for love in the wrong places. And my heart and desire for every Muslim, every Hindu, every Buddhist, every Democrat, my neighbors, Every lost person that we are going to live and love in such a way, it doesn't matter who they are because I know there's many gloriously saved and all of that. So I'm saying in a door, but any lost person here, it doesn't matter which label you have on that don't know Jesus. I want every one of them to have an experience with a person like you and I that represent Papa God, that has the proper perspective when you're looking into the Father's face and hearing the Father's love, Father's voice, because then you're prophetic instead of pathetic. It's not that God doesn't speak in Chernobyl 2, but in Chernobyl 1, look at me, say spirit, soul, body, life, river flows. Chernobyl 2 is a little different because here is the soul, say soul, spirit, body. So when God speaks, it has to filter its way through my emotion, will, mind, or personality to touch my spirit. So when I'm in Chernobyl 2, I don't know, is this God, or is this the devil, or is this myself? There's three voices speaking here all the time. And I believe that will, let me just, no, I'm not going to be kind. <laughs> I believe that a lot of the things in this last climate that we did, that we have prophets also that are beautiful lions and we need to be lions and roar because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when we are not operating with a lamb's heart, and we roar against this wall. We're coming from a chair number two instead of a chair number one. The identity needs to be in the lamb, so the authority is in the lion. And when we roar, people will gather and not scatter because it comes from the lamb's heart. And Jesus is both the lamb of God and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this is my heart as the ambassadors of love that are going to be roaring lions. And that's pretty much what I would like to show. I want to show a couple of pictures of testimony connected to this because all of them have this except for my family picture. So let's just look at a couple of these pictures. But I want you to see who my family is so that you can pray for them. Do you have some of the photographs they gave you? I want you to just, can you say, wow. <laughs> so this is my beautiful wife and three of our daughters and our son and their spouses. And it was at a wedding of our daughter, Courtney. So I just want you to remember to pray. And especially as Dr. Randy Clark said about my wife and the people that have stayed home that are the true heroes. Let's look at a couple of the other pictures here because I feel it is a key here. This was actually the president of Pakistan is right to the right of me there. And then the granny mom, the finance minister and other top, both Shia Sunnah Muslim leaders in the room. But I'm putting this into perspective because the next picture that is taking place, I was able to be awarded the International Peace Award two years ago by the president of Pakistan. But the interesting thing on the award, it says, as an ambassador of love. <laughs> I 
and, and I don't want anybody to think, because again, the question is, this is not something that I've done. I just, I'm coming back to a place of chair number one where I need to receive love. I cannot give them something I don't have. Are, are you getting it? Chair number one is all about resting. Say resting. Because when you're at rest, he finds a rest. Say receive. Become. Release. I rest. I receive. I become. I release. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Let's look at the next picture. Just putting a couple of pictures. This is the Shia Muslim leader, 32 million Shia Muslim, Dr. Hussein. But again, sometimes we see these leaders, and I'm not afraid of putting this up. He's been a friend for over some 20 years. But it touched me after some 20 years of doing relationship and just loving. And he is, he's like family to me. I almost kind of see him. He's so precious. And he's also part of the Islamic Ideology Council. But he said, can you get me a Bible? What in my language and English? I do, I do want to get a Bible. And that's why we got a Bible. And he is now studying the Bible and love and honor the Bible. Let's look at the next picture, because this was also I struggled in chair two, but when I repented, went back into chair number one, that's when some of these things took place. So that's, uh, that's why the illustration, but when you see a picture, okay, let's look at the next picture. I think it was one more. With the women, maybe we didn't. Well, I had another picture because this was also one of those situations that many of us are watching on the news I had ended up in chair number two. I'm going to tell a couple of stories, and then we're going to probably within about 10 minutes land this. Are you guys okay? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but this was one of those incidences. I came into this region and area, and the girls and the women in this area especially, and I have three daughters, there was such an oppression. And what was actually happening, the girls couldn't go to school, and I never saw any women around in, in a sense. The few that I had met on distance had a full burqa on, and... So some of my Muslim friends and the leadership, I just started to talk to, but I could feel the Lord because you have authority over what you weep over. And you have authority where you love. And so part of that is the lamb in you is you see what's taking place. And the one chair number two in me, these people, what they are doing and they are oppressing, that's chair two in me. But chair number one is coming in as I know what Barabbas deserve. Can I take his place so that they can have what I have? So when I'm in church, the ministry of reconciliation is to represent him before people and people before him. So something came in when I got broken over what was broken there and started just weeping behalf of them. And they came in kind of with a Nehemiah, with a cup here. Why are you sad? Uh, doc, they call me Dr. Leif because maybe they're prophesying about the future doctor around here. <laughs> so they Dr. Leif, why are you so sad? And I said, well, I just see all these girls and I have three daughters and they, they go to school and... And, and they don't have education, and they get married off when they're so small. And in, in my call, and we started to talk, and two younger, his sons of this Muslim leader came in and said, wow, tell us more about it. And I started to describe, and we started this process together. And the picture I was going to show eight years later, I'm invited, and all these Muslim women are standing there with a burqa, and they invited me in. And I was there cutting the ribbon for the all-girls school about a year ago. And... <laughs> But 
But I interviewed these little girls with Burke, these small little girls. I came with a microphone. And one of them came in. She said, all I had only seen was like black and white. But eight years ago, this started to change. And now eight years later, there's color everywhere. And I said, what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm going to be a health minister. And what are you going to do? And that doesn't exist. They cannot dream. But all of them were dreaming. They were dreaming of creating a culture that is now changing culture. But it started with me having a little... Are uh, 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 you guys getting it? I'm just trying to help us because we're dealing with culture issue here in America also. That for me, my heart would be when I'm coming into this place. And some of you I know that maybe even went on Facebook. But when all the climate happened in our country, we had a Black Lives Matter. We had a COVID. We had a lot of things going on. And the George Floyd. My son-in-law is African-American. So married to my oldest daughter, Lila. And uh, his mom died of COVID early on. We went up to Alabama, and we came into this field and this area, and we were the only white being part of the big family, and we went into the Fuqua farm. My daughter used to be Lila Hetland. Now her name is Lila Fuqua. But when we came into the Fuqua farmland and we drove in, and I've lived in the South for a long time, but when we drove in, I started to weep because we were going to bury his family. That's where the blacks and on the left side is where the whites, and I realized this is the slave owner's land that his mom was buried. And when we stood there, I wept, and I knew my son-in-law. I've never been stopped where I live one time. He had been stopped 15 times for no reason. So I knew that still there was something in me that, so when all of this happened of injustices, I was not into the political thing because I, I don't want to buy into any political or religious spirit. I love the Sunnis and I love the Shias. I love Ishmael and I love Isaac. And you're not going to get me to not love Isaac nor Ishmael. And people know that. I'm very clear. I love Isaac and I love Ishmael. I love Jacob and I love Esau. I love Democrats, Republicans. I'm Norwegian. I can say that. I can't vote, so. I do. And I just, I've chosen to learn one language, and this is everywhere I go, this is what I have an opportunity to speak, is the language of love. And this is what I decided many years ago. It was after Dr. Randy Clark prophesied, but I had to go through after the encounter in 95. Broken neck, body cast, 12 surgeries, opiates, sitting in a wheelchair in Disney World in December of 99 and not being able to do anything. I'd seen a half a million people saved, 300,000 people healed. Been to 54 countries by December of 99, but I always ended up in chair two. Because on the inside, I had an orphan heart and an orphan spirit, and all I wanted to do was to please him, not knowing I'm already pleasing to him. I was living for love, chair number two, instead of from love. I was trying to achieve what you only can receive. I was looking at Islam as a problem instead of as a promise. I was treating people based upon their history instead of their destiny. And so there was a whole paradigm shift when I had this baptism of love, and it's just a starting point. I'm not there yet, and I'm heading there, but... This love that came over me in December of 99, I call it a baptism of love, or meaning just being immersed in love. And the father's love just continued to take this Norwegian Viking. If you hadn't met me, some people know, oh, he is the one to go around and kisses people. <laughs> and especially people that are a little stoic. 
I was meeting with the president of a nation and they came with a protocol because they heard the rumor says, do not kiss anybody. <laughs> and I'm like, it's going to be hard. <laughs> I see these scary people with long beards. I'm like, wow, it's a target for Papa's love. <laughs> I kissed the granny mom on his beard and it's like, well, the guards, are, you, are we going to shoot him? <clears throat> but it's not, where did you get that from? Papa God's kiss. In Luke 15, he was looking, he was full of compassion, he was running, and he was embracing, and he was kissing. Not looking away, but looking towards, even at the worst moment. So anyway, so this is a little bit of my story and the baptism of love that did something, and then it was an audible voice. That's how I met Papa Jack in a small leadership meeting in Melbourne, Florida, and a man named Dennis Journey was playing the piano and says, Leif, I have a song for you. And I stood there and these waves and waves of love came over me, took me into my mother's womb or a 12-year-old, and it was like it was an inner healing thing that took place. And waves of love came in and the father touched those area until he says, Leif, you're my, and you're my beloved, you're my beloved son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. I'm a son, I'm a beloved son, my papa loves me, he likes me. And before, as I say, when I came up from that place, and I, it was as clear as he said, I don't have to do this any longer, but I get to do it. Before I did it out of duty, now I'm doing it out of delight. I get to join my father in his mission. Why would I want to ask him to bless what I am doing instead of doing what he is blessing? And this started a process. I'm still in the process of learning to love myself the way he loves me. And I thought this is one of the encounters tonight. But my calling tonight is for us to come home. But I said the three root issues in nation, including what's happening now in the Middle East, is rooted in chair number three, is fear, shame, and guilt. The three root issue in chair number two, guess what it is? Fear, shame, and guilt. The root system of people in Chernobyl that brings us there, their fear and anxiety and everything else, and with that, there's shame and guilt. And often what it is, if you're looking in your past, there is guilt. You look in the mirror, there is shame, and you're looking at shame, and shame will always tell you who you are not, but Papa God will always tell you who you are. Even some of my worst moments in Papa God, when I've been in chair to Papa God, it's just coming in as a life, you are very faithful. He just reminds me, now this is how I see you. He speaks into the label. He doesn't see a Jacob and he's seeing Israel even before I become it. And he speaks these things and he sees a Peter before Peter started to behave as a Peter, as a rock. And he starts to speak and that's what he does with us. But my heart and the chair number one, the four simple things for these ambassadors of love, say with me, identity. Say that with me, say identity. It's all about who are you? Second of all, where are you? Intimacy. Say intimacy. And the third one is inheritance. Say inheritance. In chair number two, you're living towards inheritance. In chair number one, you're living from inheritance. The finished work of Jesus, everything that Jesus paid for. He didn't just die for you, he died as you. And there's something different when you're stepping in and you're waking up. In chair number two, as I'm saying, you're seeing with the orphan spit, oh, there's a pizza and there's eight slices. And even with the products, I'm joking. But I just did that in a conference the other day. How many of you would like a book? And everybody ran there. And I said, why don't you give it to somebody else? And I just started to joke. And then I took a $100 bill. 
I said, would you like a $100 bill? Yes. I said, how many here believe it is more blessed to give than to receive? Everybody wave. I said, why don't you give it? Because you get more happy. Am I the most happy person that got to give it or the one that received it? It depends on which chair you are in. But here's this mentality of measure. There's eight slices. While in chair number one, Papa God owns the bakery. It's not like, oh, this person got healed, so there's not enough. No, there's a different mentality when you realize there is a heaven open. In chair number one, you're trying to actually get heaven to you. And in this place, even a church system is often a babel system where we are doing the best to build something great for ourselves or ministry towards heaven. And I know how that feels like. While chair number one is a Bethel model, open heaven and the house of God. Family hosting a open heaven. So my desire today, say identity, intimacy, say inheritance, destiny. There's a destiny for each one of your life to wake up in the morning with purpose and passion. But that destiny comes from knowing your identity. And out of that, you have an intimacy with him. Out of the intimacy, you know everything that all that I have is yours. Everything that he paid for is available. And then in the next point, then you're stepping into your uniqueness and finding your special sauce at the big family table. And I believe, like I mentioned, that in chair two, we tolerate one another. In chair one, we celebrate one another. This one is independent. This is interdependent. I need you. I can't do this without you. It's like what Heidi, here's the net fishing compared here's the poles. Do you remember that exercise? Let me ask you a question. One more illustration, story, and then we start to pray. I have about six minutes of teaching, and then I want us to pray. This story was, I was in chair number one. So excited, I had been worshiping, praying, preparing, getting ready for a beautiful big assignment. Headed to Atlanta airport, and when I got there, ah, it was a delay. And it didn't take long, another delay, and another delay. And finally, when I was able to get to Dubai, whew, there was another delay. And then we had to change another airline, so it's not in partnership with Delta. Excuse me, we had flown to, yeah, to Emirates, we had with that. Dubai, and now we had to change with Emirates from there to getting into Pakistan. By the time I got there early in the morning, it was, I was totally exhausted. It was fatigue, say fatigue. And I believe that fatigue is one of the big weapons of the enemy in this season. And the enemy is trying to wear us out. So I even challenge you, be aware of what is your gainer and drainer when it comes to your emotional tank. Because many times what the enemy is... The enemy is trying to burn some of your fuel, and when I'm down to E, boom, he pushes the button and fear comes in. So I'm there early in the morning. I finally get to my hotel, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to sleep, and I can't wait to sleep. After 72 hours, a little hurt, and I'm getting into Avari Hotel, getting into my room, and I'm about to fall asleep. And then suddenly I hear, right outside, I was like, the big mosque is right outside, it's the first early prayer. And I get right in here. I start to declare and decree and pray all these things. And I'm trying to soak. And all I can have the pigeons is making a little mess on me. 
Here you have pigeon religion, not dove. Here you're being overwhelmed by the circumstances. Here you're overwhelming your circumstances. Here you're seeing how big Goliath is. Here you see how big God is. Here is the ten spies and here's the two that goes into the land and have the same world but different perspective. I just want you to have a visual of all these scripture verses. And sometimes we go in and out, and the biggest thing that what I'm interested in when you get in Chernobyl too, that there is no condemnation but invitation. Can I say one more time? My biggest encouragement for all of us is when we end up, because I think most of us will end up visiting Chernobyl too. Hopefully, you will not have a super glue here. I hope this will be an unreached people group. But when you are here, Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. If you struggle with chair two, weary, heavy laden, come, Jesus says. And I will give you rest. Papa. He says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Yours is heavy. My mind is easy and my yoke is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm low and meek and humble in heart. And I give you rest for your soul. Anybody that needs that? I think we all need rest for our soul in these days. The hard work of rest. Rest becomes your weapon of warfare. And out of rest, you will wear the enemy out. It's called the hard work of rest. I don't do very well at it. But when I'm coming in, say fatigue. Say fear. Failure. Forsaken. And then the enemy isolate you in chair two, and you are the only one that is facing this. This is a Bill Johnson quote again. Where if you touch the lepers, you become unclean in chair number one. If you touch the lepers, they become clean. It's a different worldview. So anyway, I do believe that we need to have an orphanectomy. No more orphan hearts and orphan spirit. He says, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. The father wants his family back. And that's what's taking place here these days. And these ambassadors of love, they are full of love. Say full of love. Full of power. And full of wisdom. He's, he says, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Say power. Say I'm powerful. I'm lovable. And I'm wise. Because wisdom flows where there's a soundness of mind. Full of love like Jesus, full of power like Jesus. When the conversion of those three becomes one in the sons and daughters of glory. Arise and shine for your light has come. Yes, there is some darkness and gross darkness, but that's not the issue. Where is the light? Are you guys okay? So this story is... I'm super gluing Chernobyl too, so this is not a wise thing to do. So I'm coming a little depressed, cannot sleep, so I finally decided to turn on the TV, and there was 22 people killed around because of suicide bombers and killings outside the area. And I'm about to do a big event, so this didn't help my faith. So I was trying to change another channel, and there is this imam, and finally there was this one imam on TV when I saw him. Actually, you saw him on the screen, this one guy. But when I saw him for the first time on TV, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper through my soul and my weariness, hey, I want you to meet this guy. And I'm like, I don't want to meet him, I want to sleep. <laughs> I'm honest. There was no audible voice, I just felt this thing and 
And I, I, I didn't feel it was the flesh, and it was not the devil saying that. I first thought it was the devil. I rebuke you, Satan. But this whisper just continued, and I've learned to recognize that little voice. And so I was watching the TV, and there was a trip also. Bob Phillips was with me and other people, and I was, they had come in the day before. It was not on the same flight, but I'm sitting there flipping the channel, and I'm looking at and again, this person, I couldn't get rid of it. And he's on national TV on this one channel that I knew 60 million people I found out is watching this. So I told my coordinator, I'm going to be obedient. I said, you know this channel? And I don't want to mention it here because he's still on that channel. All over the nation, he's teaching Islam in the morning. I'm supposed to meet him. And my coordinator said, you don't know who he is? He's as big as Oprah is in America. I was thinking, that's big. He said, okay, I want you to go and I want you to see him. So he came back again. He first rolled his eyes, says it's not going to work, and he came back again, 11 o'clock. I was still not able to sleep. 11 o'clock, he came with a news and said, I told you. I talked to his assistant, and his assistant says he doesn't want to see an infidel. And I thought, ah, wonderful God, now I can sleep. <laughs> and I tried, and I tried to sleep, and then I felt this whisper against that life. I didn't ask you to try to see him, I want you to see him. And at that moment, I started to weep. I don't know how to do that. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, good, now we can begin. <laughs> so I follow a Bill Johnson system. I repented. I went back into the penthouse where I belong in Geneva 1. Why would you want to live in the basement when you can live in the penthouse with Papa God? Repent. Metanoia, change the way you think. Get back again and see things the way Papa God sees things. So when I was back again in China, but one day something different with me, when that child like this, this Papa, I just become his little boy. It's my navigation. Where I'm first stepping into the childlikeness, then I become a friend of God. It's like a driving, and then you can go into the leadership. But sonship before any other ship, if not you have shipwreck. I'm nervous when my big apostleship or leadership, if it is not in a, following this tiny little boat called son, a son with a dove. Changes everything. So I'm just going in there, Papa, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? And I just prayed a little bit of the spirit that was worshiping. And then eventually in the middle of this atmosphere, I got this one thought. Give him the International Peace Award of the Year. And I thought, this cannot be the devil. This is strange. <laughs> and this is definitely not the flesh. So I told my coordinator, let's get a big glass sculpture and make one of those big awards where they put his name on the award and from Dr. Leif Hetland just put here that he won the International Peace Award of the Year and say he is from Norway with a delegation and maybe he think it is the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> it's exactly, I thought that. So I thought that sounds so crazy, it could be the Holy Spirit. Not the lie, half lie, half truth. <laughs> But I said that to my coordinator just to get his assistant to talk to his executive assistant so he could. And that's my coordinator. He rolled his eyes, spent $241, came back with his beautiful glass sculpture with all of these things made in. And so in this process of time, I've been able to sleep a little bit. And we came back and it's like, wow. And I told Bob Phillips and my team, oh, we're going to have something excited. And I told my coordinator, go to this assistant and tell the assistant when you come to the assistant that when he says, no, I don't want to see you, just tell him. Guess what's going to happen to you when your leader finds out that you refuse to give him the International Peace Award? <laughs> and that guy got a little fearful, and 
he went to his executive assistant. Executive assistant felt the same fear. So he went in, whispered to him and says, and I don't want to mention his name for honor here, but he told this great leader again that you have won the international peace award, they're saying, and there's a big international delegation and they wanted to come to award you. What am I supposed to do? He said, bring him to me. <laughs> so we are showing up. We're driving in and there's this big compound with guns and machine guns. There's a beautiful setting and we're coming in with our little Toyota Hyus and we're coming in and actually there's all this long line of people greeting us and eventually the two of the sons takes my hands and, and they, they walk me over and this delegation, we walk through the mosque area, take off my shoes, we walk through and then eventually we're coming in and then I walk into this room and there he is. I bring my book, See Into Heaven's Eyes because I've forgotten to bring a gift. I said, hey, I just want to honor you with a gift. And then he gave me a book of his book. And we talked for a few moments. And eventually we came into this big hall. And there's all the men with beard. That is the imams on one side and the women on Burke on the other side. And I get my chance to. It's called covert revival. <laughs> Here you check the temperature. Here you set the temperature. It's just a different way. So you're going in here now. And so we started, and all I did was not, people always say, what did you say? I just started to honor him. And I said, hey, I see he is a man of peace. And I just started, pretty much you're saying in a covert language what heaven have to say about him. That this is a peacemaker. And he later on said to me, I never thought that I was that. And today he's become one. And when President Obama was doing his Freedom Act, a couple of Muslim leaders was invited and, and they had invited me to come to the, the Washington DC and we were there at the National Cathedral. It was a private meeting with a group of leaders before and then these, I was supposed to host a lot of Imams and, and some of these leaders that came from the Middle East for this. And anyway, so when we left that, he said, can I come to your house? And I kind of knew I was in trouble because my wife was just coming home and I, I had left my team in England with her so I could do this event that came up. And so I just arrived, I'm on my gen, I'm coming and say, hey, and she said, okay. I let him come, but not in my home, not to stay. So I'm like, okay, we compromise. He stay in a hotel, but we cook for him. Either some halal meat or some good fish or something. And so we agreed. So anyway, so we brought him there and I went to my office and I saw the Al-Quran and the Bible and I found it and I put them on the highest place in the office and I know some people will be offended so I just put the Quran and then the Bible up on the top of my shelf and so we walked in when he came into my office I moved away a few things and he looked at the Quran and he brought it down and he treasured and he started to open the, the Al-Quran and he was reading some surah which is verses in the Quran and as he started to read I'm getting more and more tired and my head goes down and suddenly I start to feel the presence of Jesus. And I'm thinking, this is not a good time, Holy Spirit. <laughs> this guy is reading the Al-Quran for me and then suddenly I'm just feeling this presence and it's getting more and more. And as I'm looking at him, it's getting blurry and I'm getting drunk in the spirit. <laughs> and I try to resist and it's like self-control is one of the fruit of the spirit. But I'm like... And then finally he stops. I didn't do anything. I just. And he said, well, what are you doing to me? I said, what are you talking about? He said, what is this tingling? I feel like this, this tingling is going up and down like this. It's, uh, what is this? Oh, it's just the presence of Jesus. 
I'm saying, he, he must have missed me. <laughs> and then I said, I had, a, I had a word of knowledge before. But wisdom was not to share it when I got it. So you have love and power. So I had the power to share. So I remember I got a word of knowledge, but in Chernobyl 1, uh, it was very important for me that right at that moment, I wouldn't be able to steward a word of knowledge and the healing. But at this moment, I realized, can I pray for you? And I had enough favor now in my favorite card with wisdom to be able to pray, but not to touch him. That's just another wisdom area. So I put my hand over his head. Uh, he didn't say no. He didn't say yes. So I just put my hand over her head. I said, I just bless him in the name of Jesus. Fill him up and heal him and shalom. And I just started to speak some more. And then suddenly in the next moment, he was just sitting there, just staring at me. With, and he didn't say much. There was not much emotion after that. It was like he left. Next morning, I came to Wyndham Hotel in Peachtree City. And, and I'm coming with my car to pick him up. And he's standing outside and said, you come to my room. I'm thinking, am I in trouble? I never got, gone to his room before, so I walked into the room with him and followed him, and he opened up the laptop, and there were two of his wives and all the family there on the other side of the screen. He said, I want you to give them what I received yesterday. <laughs> and right afterwards, Something started to happen in our relationship, and we've done a lot together, and we just was the eighth healing meeting in the mosque that is taking place. But it was the thing that, there was an astonishing thing that took place with him. When he came home, he called me, and I've shown, I think I've shown it to Randy and some of the people just on the text, because now he calls me Papa Leif. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. So I said, where do you get, I mean, this guy is a leader, 60 million people, and all those, when I'm coming there, he said, Papa Leif, this voice told me to tell you, Papa Lev, you are my spiritual guide. I was supposed to. So we, we've been in this process together. But a premature baby costs so much more to raise and it has birth defect. So I don't want to birth something before it's nine months and maybe one week. Little baby, little push. Big baby, big push. So we've been in this process, and he's just one out of many of these relationships that God is just setting up. And the reason I'm saying that is for us, and it has to do with some of our mindset and the way we are living and loving. Because it's so easy for me to be offended, and in the next moment, these people are trying to kill me or get me. And the one guy that you saw with his face squeezed with his long beard into me, he was one of the ones that tried to kill me for five years. Then he broke his arm and showed up in an official meeting, and he came in with a cast, and... He had been shaking my hand in another meeting, and he washed his hand because he touched an infidel. But then God dealt with me, my chair too, added, he said, he is not the problem, you are the problem. And then later on, when I repented and I started to see him the way Papa God see him, it's like you see the terrorist Saul with the killing of Stephen, and you can see the Apostle Paul, love is patient, love is kind. And so I started this process with him, and I started to see the transformation. And today, he's another one of those stories. And it's been years of some of these relationships before we started to see it. But I'm putting this in perspective. What would it look like if the world gets to experience a God that looks like Jesus to ordinary people like you and I? Can we stand to our feet? And I just want to, I just would like us to have a fresh baptism of love. But my, whoa. Anyone hungry?
We're going to just do it in a very quiet way today. But just lift up your hands. I felt when I was on the floor a couple of times today, I have not done this. I don't think I've ever done this before where I specifically, but I felt he took me back to this ambassador of love, the love ambassador. And there's a term now being spread. It actually started with Judith Franklin praying for me and had an encounter in Southampton, England. But I felt today that the Father sees every single person in this room as a love ambassador that is going to represent the king, to know the language of the king and the culture of the king, full of love, full of power, and full of wisdom. I don't know where he's called you to be. I don't know if you're an engineer, but then you're an engineer that is also a love ambassador, ambassador of love, ambassador of Christ that represent a God. Jesus was the first ambassador that was sent by the Father. But then he's also sending each one of us as ambassadors into this world in this season. But I do believe also he wants to take away any fear in our life today, shame and guilt, any guilt from your past, any shame that you're dealing with, and any fear in your life and set you free from shame, fear, and guilt. And then I felt that the baptism of the, the liquid love, and it is not going to be me laying hands, but I felt that people were just coming here that just said, I don't want chair number two in my life, in my marriage. I don't want the chair number two church any longer. I, don't want, I want this chair number two thinking out of my life and removing this away. And I want to come home. If I visit here, no condemnation. I'm going to just start the lifestyle. And if you are resonating that you would like to be one of those ambassadors of love, I will not do anything. I, I felt he just says it's time to anoint and appoint, but everyone is called to be mine ambassadors. And you say, I don't know how to do that. Just come and rest and receive. So holy, holy spirit. Holy you're a holy, holy spirit. If you can take a broken Norwegian drug addict, later on from a prodigal son to be a prodigal brother, a religious person, baptize me in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And then start to teach me a little bit about love. I know I've only tasted like a little glass compared to the ocean of love that he has. So I'm thirsty myself. But if you're sensing a call right now, I just want you to just run up to the altar and kneel. This is, I just felt it's just a consecration. I just place myself in this offering place and I just make myself available. And the only thing that's going to happen here is going to be that any fear, any shame, any guilt at this place. And I know what, just come any ambassador and is all over the place is just going to make yourself available. It's like what Randy says, I'm like a coin in your hand. You can spend me whatever way you want to. This spender to be spent. But I just felt that, Father, just teach us. But John 70, 26, Father, I've declared your name among them and I will declare it, that the very love, Father, that you have towards me, that love, that love is going to be in them and I in them. This perfect love and if there's no more room here just start wherever you are at and just finding a place here and we just find a place to kneel i feel it's going to be a holy moment but i saw him branding people and he branded them for love as ambassadors of love some of you is going to be the drug addicts somebody else is going to be the marketplace and business people some is going to be human trafficking and you're going to represent 
And you're going to learn the language of love that is the language the blind eyes can see and the deaf ears can hear. You're going to learn the language of love that is the language the blind eyes can see and the deaf ears can hear. <sighs> Holy love. He says, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear. I'm not giving you a spirit of fear. Father, we just repent. We just repent from any of the lenses that does not look with the eyes of love. The eyes of love. Whew. Holy is his love. Joanne, can you come and join me in a team? Just start, but just release here. I just feeling that we're going to go and allow his love, fresh baptism of love. Father, I just release now what you did for me, first of all, in 1999. This love, this perfect love, this liquid love of the Father, with the perfect love of the Father, looking at each one of his sons and a daughter. That's my daughter. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my son. That's my daughter. It's the identity. When he looks at you, it changes how you look at everybody else. When you capture the look of the Father, when you see how the Father sees you, that you're his, and you're his beloved. You're his beloved son or his beloved daughter. Papa loves you. He likes you. He delights in you. You're his happy thought. He is for you. He is not against you. You cannot give something you didn't first receive from him. And that's why he just right now, Father, I just release that love, that love, that perfect love of the Father over each one of his beloved sons and daughters. The affection of the Father towards his children. No, he is not mad at you. and He's not in a mood swing. And he's not even like some of your earthly fathers. And I won't ask forgiveness in behalf of anyone that has misrepresented love to you. I ask forgiveness for anyone. Some of you had fathers that, I just saw some little girls that never had a father that says, I love you. Some of your girls didn't have a father that says, you are beautiful. Some of the boys say, you're still trying to hit that ball right. You're trying to hit that ball right. You just want to be right. You want to be right. But I just release him at this moment. I say some of daddy's little girl, especially that little 12-year-old girl with a beautiful white dress that starts to dance again with her father. And you're looking at his face and he's looking at you. That's the 12-year-old you. And when you look at him, whoa, you start to see you the way that he sees you. That's the truth. And it raises shame. Shame off you. Shame off you. Shame off you. No more shame. Jesus took your shame so that you are glorified, no more. So when he's looking at you, his beloved, his beautiful, we are sealing you. But the biggest transformation that is going to take place, what would it look like for you to love you the way that he loves you? That's where the orphan spirit cannot go. Lucifer cannot touch an area in your life when you love you the way that he loves you. And you say, that's selfish. No, that is self-emptying and selfless love. Just talk to Jesus about it. It's called covenant. You're in agreement with the Father, what He sees about you. <sighs> Holy. So come with your love, Papa. Here's the Father looking. No, and he's not looking away from you. He's looking towards you. There's a father running 
And no, he's not running away from you. He's coming towards you. I want you to feel that a father embracing, put his arms around you. You feel that security. You feel that value. You feel that love. <laughs> that intimacy with a father. You look at him and he looks at you. <sighs> Holy is his love. And he gives you an A+. Plus. And I feel even the cry of that orphan heart. That that love is going to go into the deepest area. And he's going to uproot any orphan thinking. The root of the orphan is going to be gone of you. And you're going to be placed as a beloved. Be loved. Not do loved. But be loved. And some of you just also need to feel a kiss on your cheek from Papa God. It's like, that's my girl. It's a seal. More. 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 Deeper. To spread the teams around and we just take them deeper and deeper. You're going to come into a resting place. So when the shame, fear, and guilt is gone, and the restoration is coming with a robe, <laughs> an ambassador's robe. Today I have with one of my rings I have on my finger, I got from my spiritual Papa, Papa Jack. It's my sonship ring, the signature ring, sonship daughter, to represent him. I even see Jesus coming and washing the feet of some of you. I just saw that. I've had it happen twice. But I feel beaten down and dirty and Jesus just came. He says, take off your shoes. And I just sat there and I felt. It was not a physical thing. It was just a visual thing. But when Jesus started to wash my feet, kiss my feet and his tears, it's like where you walked. Your feet are smelly and they're dirty and they are sore and they are tired. And he starts to wash your feet. And he put in those sandals of peace, peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons and daughters of God. It is the God of peace, shalom, that is going to crush Satan underneath his feet. Holy. The deep, deep, deep. So, Father, right now, freely I received when Judith Franklin prayed over me. And I had this experience. And afterwards, I said, you're going to be an ambassador of love. I didn't know what it meant. I had no clue. But what you did to me, do that to every person in this room, by grace. <laughs> let our cities, let every school Every classroom, every business have somebody that will represent the king well, that will know the culture of the king, but also understand the culture he placed you to live in. And learning the language of heaven, and learning how to communicate it in the environment where he's placed you in. Holy. 
for some of you right now, I just felt this, this sting. I want you to hear it. The sting on feeling unwanted is being taken out of you right now. Some of you felt, you know, you're loved, but you didn't know you were being wanted, that he wants you. Because you're on Papa God's most wanted poster. You better get used to it. He wants you. I was sitting with one of the leaders today, and we were crying a little bit together. We ministered to, to, to a couple, and she was just saying, I just miss my kids right now. I just feel it. They were just having these pictures. They came in, and I started to weep with her because I felt Father God also said, I miss my kids too. And we just sat there. Papa God says, I miss my family. I miss my kids. He wants his family back. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Leif Hetland on social media at Leif Hetland and sign up for our weekly newsletter at globalmissionawareness.com. Thank you.